All right. Would you join me? Join me this morning in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter number 20. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. And I want to read some verses here in just a moment. Then I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open and follow me along here for just a little bit this morning. Matthew, chapter 20. And while you're finding your place there, page number 1027, while you're finding your place there, I do want to mention or just say to all of our mothers, wish you a very happy Mother's Day. I hope you have a great day today. And uh, you deserve this. We deserve, you deserve to have a day set aside to honor you in, in our nation and more importantly in our families. And I just want to say that we thank God for all the mothers, all the women that make up the membership of Woodland Baptist Church. I promise you this, if you pull the women out of the ministry of Woodland Baptist Church, our ministry is going to be hurting sorely. And so we appreciate your praying, the godly example that you set, uh, that you set before your family. Thank you for being, uh, just being an influence and faithful to the church here, and I hope you have a great day today. Now, with that being said, Matthew chapter number 20, I want to read some verses here in just a moment. You know, for the last 106 years in the United States, we have celebrated on the second Sunday of every May, we have celebrated Mother's Day. Uh, what you may not realize is back in 1914, the president, of, of the United States was a man by the name of Woodrow Wilson. And back in 1914, he actually signed into law uh, making the second day, the second Sunday of every May, an official day, a legal day to celebrate the mothers of America. So really in reality, believe this or not, what we're doing here today is actually legal, at least for right now, till some member of the ACLU or some liberal politician finds something wrong with it. So we're doing this today, honoring our moms. This is a something legal that we're doing here today. But not only is it legal, it is also biblical. You see, long before our president, back in 1914, signed into, into law a day honoring the mothers of America, God signed into his law some thousands of years before that, uh, the fact that he wanted us to honor our mothers. One of God's top ten original laws was honor thy father and thy mother. Now, by the way, can I throw this in? In 42 days, we get to do the second part of this in honoring our fathers. I'm just mentioning that so you can get to the good neckties before they all get gone. But you know something today is Mother's Day. And I want to publicly say before you, uh, before anybody listening this morning, that I thank God for my mama. My mama's looking down, I'm sure, from heaven this morning watching the service. And I want to thank God for my wife, who is the mother of my children. And I want to preach a message this morning and just to, just to honor all the mothers that are here this morning. In fact, I've actually chosen a woman one of the, I guess we would call one of the not-so-famous ladies of the Bible. But I love to kind of just pick somebody out and follow them through the Scripture and to try to piece together a little story about their lives. I have a series of books in my office called The All Series of the Bible. And uh, what it is, it's different volumes. For instance, like there's all the prayers of the Bible, all the parables, all the, all the miracles of the Bible. But there's also a couple of volumes, one named All the Men of the Bible and another one named All the Women of the Bible. A man by the name of Herbert Lockyer wrote this series of books, and here's what he said right in the very front of that book on All the Women of the Bible. He says, in the Bible there are over 3,000 named men that are mentioned throughout the Word of God. 3,000 men that are named in the Bible, but there are only 188 women 
who are named in the Bible. Now, of those named women, some of those women are very, very, uh, very well known. You know, like Eve and Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel, Esther and Rahab, and I can't forget to mention Mary, the mother of our Lord. They're some of the more more popular ladies of the Bible. But this morning, I want to preach on one of the lesser-known ladies of the Bible, one of the not-so-famous ladies of the Bible, a woman by the name of Salome. Salome. That's right. I'm preaching this morning on this subject, a mother who was so wrong, yet so right. A mother that was so wrong, yet so right. I'm talking about this lady by the name of Salome. Now, probably didn't too many people drive onto the parking lot this morning saying this, boy, I sure hope the preacher preaches on Salome this morning. I doubt probably too many of us last night went to bed thinking last night, man, I hope at the drive-in service in the morning, the preacher just rares back and preaches on Salome. You know, really, we really don't know a whole lot about her life. We're only given a few glimpses into her life throughout the New Testament. But what I want to try to do this morning is piecing all those those glimpses together. I think we can comprise a story about this lady by the name of Salome. We can take the few bones that were given and flesh out her story. Now, what I want to do this morning is I just want to stop and read to you an incident that happened in the life of Salome. And if you'll follow me, she's not mentioned here, but we know this is her, and I'll tell you why in a moment. Look at verse 20, Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 20. Then came to him, then came to Jesus, the mother of Zebedee's children. Now, the mother of Zebedee's children was a lady by the name of Salome. Zebedee's wife was Salome. She's the mother of Zebedee's children. Then came the, uh, to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, "Uh, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. He saith unto them, You shall indeed, uh, uh, dr- uh, you shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is appointed or prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Now, believe this or not, right there in that little story, we learn a lot about this lady by the name of Salome. So could I just this morning, in the little time that I have left here this morning, can I mention three things about this woman by the name of Salome as a tribute to all of our mothers today? First of all, I'd like to talk a little bit about the life, the life duties of Salome the life duties of Salome. Now, as we read through the four Gospels, we bump into this woman along the way. And from the few mentions of her in the Scripture, we find that Salome was a lady, a mother who was very busy and led a very active life. You know, the old saying is that men may work from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. 
And that is so true, is it not? Moms, if you consider all the hats that they wear, they are very, very active and busy people. For instance, moms are daycare providers, they're chefs, they're medical assistants, they're tutors, chauffeurs, counselors, and advisors. They're housekeepers, wardrobe coordinators, interior decorators, referees, walking laundromats, social, uh, I'm sorry, senior administrative assistants. They're tailors, psychologists, and in most cases, they are animal caregivers. In addition to that, she's a groundskeeper, a hairstylist, a private detector, a detective, a, a record keeper, a shopper, and a washer. And that's not even to include all that she does for her husband. The average woman, it is said, is to work 97.4 hours per, per week, most of which she never, ever gets paid for. That's right. I'm telling you, all because they love their family, they do this. Mothers are very busy, very active people. Well, Salome was like that. She can identify with all the mothers that are sitting here today because as you read through the Scripture, we find out there were three main duties of her life. Let me give them to you. First of all, we know from the Bible that she was, number one, a faithful, a faithful wife. That's right. Salome was married. Her husband's name was Zebedee. And Zebedee ran a very profitable fishing business around the Sea of Galilee. He was well known. In fact, his, his business was so prosperous that he actually, the Bible said, had servants working for him. So we know that he has a very lucrative, a very profitable fishing business. And right by his side, is his faithful wife, Salome. By the way, that name, Salome, if it sounds familiar, if you're familiar with the Jewish word shalom, it's the same word, and it means peace. We have every reason to believe that Salome was a very peaceful, a very peaceful, a peaceful lady. You know, nothing could be said greater about any woman than that she brings peace to her home and peace to those around her. The Bible said in Proverbs 21 and verse number 9 that it is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a wide house with a brawling woman. Thank God for ladies who are peaceful, uh, peaceful ladies. She was a faithful wife. You know something? Let's, uh, let's purpose in our heart to be faithful to our spouses. Amen. Hey, I know we're living in days when faithfulness is looked down upon, but I tell you what, brother, God intends for us to be faithful to our spouse. She was a faithful wife. Let me say number two, she was a fantastic mother. You see, out of this relationship between her and Zebedee, two boys had been born. That's right, two rambunctious boys. Their names were James and John. The reason I say they were rambunctious is because in other parts of the Bible they're referred to as the sons of thunder. I mean, man, I mean, them boys, evidently, they had very violent tempers. Uh, they were rambunctious. They were always getting into fights. They were always scuffling. And so the Bible said that they had these two boys. Now, these boys, James and John, they worked along with their dad in the fishing business until one day Jesus walked by, saw them sitting over there mending their nets, the Bible said that Jesus called James and John and said, Come on, follow me. And they left fishing for men. I'm sorry, fishing for fish. And they started fishing for men. Because not only was their mama a faithful wife, she was a fantastic mother. But number three, and most importantly, she was a fearless follower. 
Now, what do I mean by that is Salome was a fearless follower of the Lord Jesus. You see, we run into her three or four times throughout the Gospels, and every time that we run into her uh, in the three or four Gospels, with the exception of this one instance here, she's always near Jesus. For instance, in Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 15 and verse number 40, we're told that Salome followed Jesus as he journeyed and she ministered unto him. No doubt she washed his clothes. Maybe she prepared his meals. Maybe she ran errands for him. She was, she was just somebody who loved the Lord Jesus. Thank God for all the mamas who just love the Lord Jesus. She ministered to Jesus. Then we read in Matthew 27, verse number 56, on the day that Jesus was crucified, that Salome was around the foot of the cross weeping over the death of the Son of God. You know, us men are not shown in a very good light when it comes to Calvary because all the male followers, with the exception of John, all the male followers of the Lord Jesus had forsook Jesus and fled, but not Salome. Her attitude seems to be they run if they want to. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm staying with my Savior. That's right. She was there at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. But then we run into her again on resurrection morning. In Mark chapter 16 in verse number 1, on the morning of the resurrection, while most all the other followers of Jesus were in a room behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jews, Salome and Mary were the very first ones out to the tomb as the sun began to rise on that resurrection morning. And, and, and the Bible said she was one of the ladies that received the news first that Jesus had risen from the dead. I say all that to say this. She was a fearless follower. Now, i got to stop and tell you this. The reason I think she was such a faithful wife and the reason I think that she was such a fantastic mother is because she was a fearless follower of the Lord Jesus. Her life's duties. She was a good wife. She took care of the needs of her husband. She was a great mom. She took care of the needs of her children. But greatest of all, she was a follower. She was a minister. She cared deeply about the Lord Jesus. I'm talking about her life's duties. But next, I want to talk to your attention not only her life's duties, but I want to talk secondly about her lofty desires her lofty desires. You see, that's what our text deals with this morning. It is in our text this morning we find that Salome brings her boys to Jesus. Now look again at Matthew chapter 20. Let me get there. The wind's blowing my pages here. But in Matthew chapter 20 and verse number 20, the Bible said that Zebedee's wife, along with Zebedee's children, came to Jesus. Now, what makes this so unique and so interesting is you've got to understand these are not little boys that she's bringing to Jesus. These are grown men that she is bringing to the Lord Jesus. She gets her grown-up boys, and the Bible said that she brings these boys to Jesus. And then I like what we're told there in verse number 20, right there in the presence of them boys, them grown boys, and right there in the presence of the Lord Jesus, she starts 
worshiping. I got you got to like that about her. I mean, you got to love the fact that she wasn't ashamed to worship God in the presence of her boys. In fact, I think she wanted to see her boys worshiping God. I'm still persuaded to believe that one thing that will convince our children that Jesus is real and Jesus can do anything is when they see their mama and their daddy worshiping him. You know, our families ought to walk in on us every once in a while and catch us down on our knees praying, shouldn't they? They should walk in every once in a while and catch us at the table reading the Word of God. They ought to see us every once in a while in a worship service weeping tears. They ought to see us every once in a while in a worship service waving our hand or standing up testifying a little bit and, and praising God because I will tell you something, if there's any kind of legacy that we want to leave to our kids is that they had a mama and a daddy who worshiped the Lord Jesus. Yes, sir. And Salome, Salome was worshiping Jesus. So she brings her boys into the presence of the Lord Jesus, and she starts worshiping him. But then we're told in verse number 21 that she says, Jesus, in verse 21, I got something that I'd like to ask you about. I'd like to, I'd like to ask you something for my boys. And Jesus said, okay, Miss Salome. What is it? And she said here in verse 21, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left hand in thy kingdom. Now, before we get too hard on her, let me just remind you, Jesus had already indicated something like this was going to happen. Look back across the page, if you will, in Matthew chapter 19. And there in verse 27 and verse number 28, Jesus seemed to indicate in verse 28, that, uh, uh, that when he sits on the throne, that ye also, speaking his disciples, ye also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus has already indicated, hey, one of these days, boys, y'all are going to sit with me on the thrones with me as we judge the nation of Israel. Now, I think probably Salome heard about that. She probably heard about the Lord Jesus saying to those 12, you know, one of these days y'all going to sit with me on the thrones. And then the Bible said she comes to Jesus this day after she worships him and says, Jesus, hey, would you mind, would you fix it where one of my boys can sit on your right hand and the other boy can sit on your left hand? Now, before we get too hard on her, I understand people look down on Salome because they're saying to her, saying about her, you know, she was just seeking power and prestige for her boys. And if that was the case, maybe maybe they're right to be down on her. But the one thing you got to love about her is this. She didn't show any partiality between her children. She didn't say, hey, let John sit here and you can put James wherever you want to. No, sir, she said, let one sit on your right hand and one sit on your left hand. She showed no partiality whatsoever. But here, I want to change your thought about this for just a moment because let's look at it like this. Maybe instead of power and prestige, what she's really asking for her boys, what she's more after for her boys is position. Maybe she wants her boys close by the side of Jesus. You know, one on one side, the other on the other side. Maybe she's just wanting her boys to be close to Jesus. Can I stop and say, boy, that's a lofty desire. Is it not to want your children to be close 
to Jesus. That ought to be the one desire that every mama listening to me has on their heart this morning. I want my children to be close to Jesus. You know, that ought to be the desire of every daddy in this, uh, this parking lot this morning. We ought to want our children to be close for the Lord Jesus. I want my children, I, I mean this, and I know I'm speaking to my wife for my wife as well. I want my children to have the finest that they can possibly have. I don't want them to ever have to struggle to pay their bills. If they want something, I hope they'll be able to have the money to go out and buy it. If they live in nice houses and drive nice cars, thank God for that. I want that for them. As long as they'll let me come live with them when I get old and ride around in their car with them, I want that for them. I want them to have the very best that life has to offer. But can I lay all that aside for just a moment and tell you that my greatest desire my most lofty desire for my children is, and my children-in-laws, and my grandchildren is, that they position their life close by the Lord Jesus. The greatest thing that we could ever pray for in this walk of life is for our children to grow up and leave our homes and go out and position their families and their lives close by the Lord Jesus to abide in His presence. So we've talked about our life duties. We've talked about our lofty desires. But can I close by talking about her lasting delight? You see, the one thing that we know from this story is, you know, she didn't get what she asked for. Jesus, in essence, didn't say to her, you know, Salome, since you've been one of my followers and you've ministered to me, you know something, consider it done. No problem. One of your boys can sit on my right hand. In fact, we'll put James over here and John on the other side. But you know something? Jesus didn't say that. You know, her answer to her was something like this. He said, in essence, listen, that's up to God. My father, he'll handle all that. So she didn't really get what she wanted. But can I tell you something? She sure probably loved how the Lord used her boys. I mean, you stop and think about it. James and John, throughout the four Gospels, think about the position that they held with the Lord Jesus. I mean, they were in that, they were in that threesome with the Lord, that inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They were with Jesus in some of His greatest moments on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. They were there in that upper room when Jairus' daughter was raised back to life. They were there in the Garden of Gethsemane while the other men were on the perimeter of the garden. There were those boys in the inner garden with the Lord Jesus listening to Him pray. Oh, I want to tell you, oh, John. Oh, John was that disciple whom Jesus loved. John was that disciple when Jesus was hanging on the cross. He looked down at John and said, John, I'm leaving giving you my mama. Take care of my mama. Oh, brother, what a position John held. And then there's old James. James was considered to be the pastor of the first church there in the city of Jerusalem. I got to tell you one thing. She had to be thrilled with how her boys lived for God and were used by God as she left this earth. One of the greatest thoughts that she had was how my boys are serving Jesus. How God has blessed my boy. I think it brought great delight to to the heart of old Salome. But then can I say this about her? She didn't get bitter because she didn't get the answer that she was looking for. I mean, when Jesus didn't come out and give her a yes to the right hand or the left hand, but he said, Salome, I can't do that. My father's going to do that. But you know something? She didn't get bitter about that. You know why? She showed up at Calvary. That's right. She was there the morning 
that the Lord was crucified. I mean, buddy, she was there that morning when Jesus had risen from the dead. You know something? She might have been wrong. She may have been. Maybe she was looking for prestige and power. I don't know. But I know one thing she got. She got some boys that lived for Jesus all the days of their life. James lost his head. John, though he died from natural causes up in his 90s, he was dipped in boiling oil and exiled to the Isle of Patmos. The one thing she did get because of worshiping Jesus and following Jesus and loving Jesus, she got some boys that grew up to serve the Lord Jesus. And by the way, what more can we ask? If I could somehow. Just leave this world with my family serving Jesus. Somehow, I will have accounted myself to have gained the greatest thing I could have gained in this walk of life, for my children to live for Jesus. Now, I'm done. I'm done, but I want you to listen to this. I don't know why. I don't know why, how this has happened, but in our cable TV network at home, somehow or another, we, we never had this channel until the coronavirus come. And now we got this channel. Maybe our TV got the coronavirus, but I don't know what happened to it. But we got a channel now called the Military Channel. And if you know anything about me, I love, I love history. I love military history. One of the things that's been on recently on this channel is the uh, search for Nazi fugitives. Now, most of all of those people are dead now. But back in the 1960s, after World War II, the Jewish nation, man, they were seeking revenge on those Nazis who put all their family to death in those gas chambers at Oshwash and those places like that. Man, I'm telling you, they went after those people like uh, Adolf Eichmann. You know, after World War II, Argentina, the company, uh, the country of Argentina and the Catholic Church smuggled a number of those high-ranking Nazi officials into the country of Argentina. And, and gave them false passports and new names and funded them. The Catholic Church funded those people so they could go to Argentina and set up a brand new life. Well, one of those men was a man by the name of Joseph Mengele. Now, you may not, that may not mean anything to you, but let me tell you, he was a notorious and a ruthless man. And mostly what he did during, during the days of World War II is he put Jewish children to death. That's what he was known for. He was referred to as Dr. Death. And what he would do is he would take these young Jewish children when they got weak and they were unable to work, he would take them and perform experiments on them. He would inject them with terrible diseases and then he would try to uh, induce drugs into their system to cure those diseases or whatever. And because of that, thousands upon thousands of Jewish children died horrible deaths. Well, he was one of those who escaped to Argentina. And in 1960, Israel had formed a similar to our FBI, CIA group. They, they'd formed a group called the Mossad. And the whole purpose of this Mossad was to track down these Nazi fugitives and put them to death. And one of those men was Joseph Mingled. Now, let me tell you a story, and I'm done. There was a man back during the days of World War II, a Jewish man, his name was Solomon Rosenberg. And he, along with his family, was one of the Jewish families who was transported by train cars to a Nazi death camp. It was him, it was his wife, and he had two boys, David and Joshua. Now, David was born sickly when he was born, and he was always weak. But in the, the earlier years of his life, he, he kind of helped out 
in the Nazi camps, so they let him live. Anytime somebody got weak or they were old or they got sickly, they were put to death. But as long as they could work, they would let them live. Well, one day Solomon Rosenberg and his wife and David and Joshua headed off to work in the, in the uh, Nazi uh, labor camps. When Solomon Rosenberg, when he would return home every night, first thing he would do, he would look for his wife, he would look for Joshua, and he would look for David to make sure that his family, and then they would all huddle together and they would thank God for another day. One day Solomon Rosenberg came home from a hard day's work in a Nazi labor camp and he started looking for his wife, but he couldn't find her. He started looking for David, but he couldn't find him. But he did find Joshua. Joshua was over in a corner by himself with a little dirty face with tears running down his face. And he grabbed Joshua and they hugged and he said, Where's your mama? And he said, Daddy, when they come to get David this morning, David was too weak to work. And they marched him off to put him to death. But Daddy, David was afraid. So mama went with him. What, what an illustration of the love of a mother. And I just want to thank God on this Mother's Day for all of you mothers who love your children, who love your husband, who love your children, who do your best to set the right kind of example for them. Thank God for those of you who do that. But let's pray like never before that God will help our children to grow up and serve Him and stay one on His right hand and one on His left hand. Or, as I'm looking at it, let's pray that our children will grow up and position their lives close to the Savior. Let's pray.